0: up in 2216 and when a man entices a maiden who is not engaged and lies with her he shall certainly pay the bride price for her to be his wife if her father absolutely refuses to give her to him he pays according to the bride price of maidens I'm going to pause here and look at these two verses first thing to note when looking at the law of Yah in the Torah we have to understand the role of culture. And I know that's one of those duh statements, but when we really break it down, if we are saying that our faith is built on the word of Yah, if, if we are saying that the Bible is what informs our morality and our views on right and wrong, then we, we have to ask ourselves, then what's going on when we get to a verse in the Bible and we're indignant about it? Or we have Um, kind of reservations around it, so to speak. Why is that happening if we truly are basing our morality and our faith on what the Bible says? I think the honest answer here is we do this thing where we straddle between the word of YAH and what culture or religion today tells us is good. And so, for instance, in these two verses here, it says... If a man or when a man entices a maiden who is not engaged and lies with her, he shall certainly pay the bride price for her to be his wife. And so this can trigger these reactions within us of like, well, wait a minute, is it trying to say that a woman is valued in terms of money, like she's worth this much and there's this this exchange that rights the wrong? And first it's like, no, that's not what this is saying. To understand this, we first have to understand their culture Yes, whenever a man married a woman, he would pay the woman's father a dowry, a gift of some sort to, um, to marry her. And again, we need to understand this was not about um, making a statement around the woman herself. This culture was an agricultural one, and there was a lot of work to be done, and everybody in the household pitched in, everybody helped. And so if a man came along and wanted to marry another man's daughter, he would be pulling away service to that household. And so yes, there was a very real practical component where it's he's paying for her because the reality is he is depriving that household of a set of hands that was valuable and helpful. And now he's going to bring that service into his household. And so We need to get ourselves out of this thinking of, oh, like the Old Testament is treating women just like property, so much as it's just trying to say what is right when there is this exchange. Um, whether or not a woman was treated like property was based on the heart of the man, not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying this is what's right to do. And we see this here because verse 16 says when a man entices a maiden who is not engaged, the implication here is he's enticing her. There is either some force or coercion or something that makes this whole situation fall short of mutual coming together. And what it says here is, if he does that and he lies with her, he shall certainly pay the bride price for her to be his wife. Because what's happening is, he is depriving this woman of her virginity and her purity, which were valuable assets to her in this culture, because that is what other men would desire and take her on to be um, their wife. And... What Yah is saying here is if he does that, then he owes that price because that is right. It's not right for him to take that away from her and pay nothing. And in our culture, we've kind of mutilated this idea because we just live in a very sexually promiscuous culture these days. But I think if we're being honest with ourselves individually, we can understand the idea that's getting at here. Like I don't think any of us desire that the one that we love and have true affection for, we don't desire them to be with another. Um, And I think that's something we have to be honest with ourselves about in the midst of a culture that tells us like, no, it's totally fine. Everybody kind of, you know, just um, switches partners and and does this or that. And this culture here is, I I just think more pure and genuine to the heart um, saying like, no, it's not a good thing. And if that happens then there needs to be some sort of recompense and it even says in verse 17 if her father absolutely refuses to give her to him he pays according to the bride price of maiden so the man still pays the father the bride price because he enticed her and he he lay with her and that's not acceptable to do and then not um basically follow up with what is rightly due to the woman and her family so i hope we can see how this law is not again it's not putting um, or it's not giving a commentary on the value of women or trying to say that women are property it's trying to say what is right given a certain situation that happens when a man entices a maiden who is not engaged and lies with her he shall pay the bride price that is the right thing to do verse 18 uh, do not allow a practicer of witchcraft to live Anyone lying with a beast shall certainly be put to death. He who slaughters to an Elohim except to Yah only is put under the ban. Do not tread down a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Mitzrayim. So I'm not going to pause on all of these, but um, I just want us to be aware of what the law of Yah says. And these, again, are good things when we really sit with them and focus on them. We can see why there is goodness in each of them. Um, but I I hope you will do that for yourself. Um, Verse 21, or sorry, 22, do not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you do afflict them at all, if they cry out to me at all, I shall certainly um, hear their cry and my wrath shall burn and I shall kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. So, this makes me think of james where he writes religion that is pure and faultless to elohim is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and it's not that james is just coming up with that on his own but he knew the law of yah and it's written here don't afflict the widow or the fatherless child and it's interesting how this goes full circle he's saying if you do afflict them um, all these things will happen and the end result is your wives will be widows and your your children fatherless i think what he's trying to do is like draw out this point Don't afflict the widow and the orphan because think about it if your wife was a widow and your child was an orphan, you wouldn't like that. And so again, we get this idea of love, do unto others what is right, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Um, Verse 25, if you do lend silver to any of my people, the poor among you, you are not to be like one that lends interest interest to him. Do not lay interest on him. I, I like this one for a couple of reasons. First, when I first came across this verse and realized, oh, wow, like the Torah actually talks directly about interest, um, that, that was news to me just to start with. But secondly, there's this specific element within this verse saying of my people, like do not lend silver to any of my people. Um, or sorry, it says if you do lend silver to any of my people, the poor among you, you are not to be like the one that lends interest, on interest to him. And so this makes me think of what we read in Exodus 21 about slaves. It says if you hire a Hebrew slave, after six years, let him go out in the seventh year. Yah is getting at this specific idea of when it comes to my people, here's what you need to know. And what I see here when I look at this verse: "Lend silver to any. If you lend silver to any, my people, um, don't lend on interest to them." When I look at the world around me today, our culture here in America is it, it just assumes that interest is an economic truth. Like that's how people make their livelihoods in many cases, and. I think, it's, I think it's wrong. I think it's corrupt. I don't think it should be happening the way it's happening. And the reason I say that is because when I look around, I just see so many people who are in essence in financial slavery because the, the reason they had to lend in the first place was because they couldn't afford whatever it was they're getting. Now, yes, there is a whole other conversation about how we go about treating our money and finances here in America. But, but the bottom line here is somebody borrowed money because they didn't have the money to do whatever they wanted to do with it in the first place. And now they're in a situation where they're responsible for paying back even more than what they borrowed. And it's like, of course, they're not gonna get out of that situation. And the reason I I see a connection here is because it results in a certain form of slavery. Again, it's financial slavery, where you're stuck, you are trapped. And what Yah is saying in this verse is, when you lend to my people, don't charge them interest. In other words, don't keep them confined in this form of slavery. Just like in the other verse, he was saying, if you hire a Hebrew servant, after six years, let him go free. What he's trying to do here, what I see in this, is he's making a point that my people are not sentenced to slavery. Um, they might spend some time serving or, or paying off a debt, but you, you let them go because they should be in freedom because they are my people. So I I hope you see the point there. It's it's not even that he's trying to get at like the rest of the world is scum, like screw them. That's not the point. The point is if you are my people, then you will get freedom. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, Verse 26, if you take your neighbor's garment as a pledge at all, you are to return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What does he sleep in? And it shall be that when he cries to me, I shall hear, for I show favor. I also like these verses because, well, rather than talk about them, I'll just encourage you to sit with these two verses and think about what conceptual truths we can pull out of it. Um, we don't necessarily in our society today give our one and only garment to a neighbor as a pledge, but what are the principles involved here that we can extract and apply to the world we live in today? Verse 28, do not revile an Elohim nor curse a ruler of your people. So real quick, if we just jump back up to verse 20, we read, he who slaughters to an Elohim except Yah only is put under the ban. So this verse is saying, don't revile an Elohim nor curse a ruler of your people. So there's a nuanced difference here. And First, we just need to understand that Elohim just means mighty one. That is the word we ultimately have translated God from, but it's it's basically just saying a mighty one. And so in Exodus 28, it's saying don't revile a mighty one, nor curse a ruler of your people. And this makes me think of Paul in Romans talking about be in subjection to authority. Um, what we're understanding in this is don't don't revile them, don't hate them, don't curse them, obey, be obedient to your rulers. But when we go to verse 20, it says he who slaughters to an Elohim um, other than Yah is supposed to be put under the ban. And so the difference here is you can be in subjection to the authority and to the rulers and you can respect them and obey them, but you are not to make them your ultimate mighty one. That is Yah. And that's what I, I believe verse 20 is getting at. If you slaughter to another Elohim, You are worshiping them. You are proclaiming you are the ultimate one and I'm slaughtering this being to you. And that's not okay. Verse 29. Do not delay giving your harvest and your vintage. Give me the firstborn of your sons. Likewise, you are to do with your oxen, with your sheep. It is to be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you give it to me. And so I just want to talk a moment about what's going on here, because it might be curious to read this and be like, what does he mean, give me the firstborn of your sons, and likewise with your oxen and your sheep? Like, are we supposed to be slaughtering them? Like, what's happening? Um, If we go to Luke 2, verse 22, uh, it says, and when the days of her cleansing, it's talking about Mary after she had Yeshua, according to the Torah of Moshe were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to Yah. As it has been written in the Torah of Yah, every male who opens the womb shall be called set apart to Yah, and to give an offering according to what is said in the Torah of Yah, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so here um, we see this concept at play again, and when we read through the Torah, there are multiple instances where it's, it's getting at this concept, every male who opens the womb shall be called at, called set apart to Yah. So if we go back to Exodus 13, where that specific verse is coming from, we get a pretty good explanation of what's going on with this. In Exodus 13, just starting in verse 13, it says, But every firstborn of a donkey you are to ransom with a lamb, and if you do not ransom it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among your sons you are to ransom, and it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, By strength of hand, YAH brought us out of Mitzrayim, out of the house of bondage. And it came to be, when Pharaoh was too hardened to let us go, that YAH killed every firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I am slaughtering to YAH every male that opens the womb, but every firstborn of my sons I ransom." And it shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand, Yah brought us out of Mitzrayim. So it's telling us here that this is essentially a, a throwback to the Passover and death to the firstborn in Egypt. Um, it's, it's supposed to be a reminder and it's not that we're slaughtering our children, it's that we are ransoming them with um, a lamb in the same way that the Israelites slaughtered their firstborn in Egypt by, or, excuse me, ransomed their firstborn in Egypt by slaughtering a lamb and putting that blood above the door. So whenever we come across verses like this throughout the Torah, we just need to be thinking back to the Passover because that's the cohesion, that's the, the concept it's getting at overall. And then finally, uh, Exodus 22, 31, And you're set apart men to me, and you do not eat any meat that uh, or, which is torn to pieces in the field. You throw it to the dogs. Um, this, to me, just makes me think of that verse we read in the last chapter about if an ox gores um, a male or female servant, you are to put it to death and you don't eat its flesh. Um... Basically, what I'm seeing here, and again, I, I think there's more to this, but um, just the point I want to make is, it seems like this is talking about um, don't consume the product of violence, don't don't be taking that into your body, and it's saying here any meat which is torn to pieces in the field, throw it to the dogs. It's not fit for you because you are set apart to Yah. So that's just one thought. Um, And again, with all these verses, I encourage you to go back and sit with them, because that's when we really start um, pulling truth and extracting the principles and the concepts out of them, rather than just that surface level um, first idea that hits us. So anyway, that's uh, the end of Exodus 22, and uh, we'll pick back up next time.